Welcome to Factor Magri, dedicated to New Zealand's primary industry. Each week, I talk with farmers and producers, industry, the science community, and policymakers to hear their stories and expert opinions on matters relevant to both our rural and our urban communities. This week on Factor Magri, I have ecologist Dr. Adam Forbes from Forbes Ecology joining me to have a chat on sequestration. Let's have a listen to his thoughts. He joins me now. Hello, Adam. Thank you for your time today. Hi, Angus. Thanks for having me on the show again. Good to catch up with you. Yeah. Um, and for those that missed you last time, can you please tell me about the work that you do? Uh, well, I'm principally a forest ecologist, uh, specialised in native forestry, uh, but also um, native afforestation, uh, forest restoration. So um, I'm a consultant. I give advice on native afforestation to people like farmers, um, iwi groups, um, yeah, so that's that's what mm. I do. Fantastic. Um, today we're talking about on-farm sequestration. I'm just going to get straight into this. How can we accurately count net emissions on-farm if sequestration is not accurately measured? Yeah, well, I guess that is a, a concern. Uh, yeah, I mean, it would you would need to understand what's being sequestered on a farm to understand the net position. So I can't really suggest how else that could be done. So essentially you are saying that if we can't measure on-farm sequestration, then it's essentially impossible to measure or have a net on-farm emission value? Yeah, well, that makes sense to me. I think there's a, it's quite a logical situation, really, to understand what the um, the net position is for any given farm. Um, surely that is uh, that's the product of um, emissions and sequestration. So if you only have if you don't have part of the equation, then I don't know how you'd arrive at a, a net position. So do you have any thoughts around why the Climate Change Commission would be suggesting against trying to understand what total on farm sequestration is? No, I'm sorry, I don't. I can't really comment. I'm not sure what what they what the reasoning would be for that. Angus, I'm sorry. Um, the Climate Change Commission also has said that it could reduce the incentive or the incentives for farmers to reduce their emissions by including vegetation and non-ETS sequestration into the farm level pricing system. Another question is, and have you got any thoughts around this, do we actually want to understand true net on-farm emissions or is this simply adding a new tax for farmers? It's quite hard to understand the reasoning behind some of these things when, like you say, there's some very obvious answers needing two equations to get an answer. Yeah, look, um, I mean... It's possibly a little bit outside of my area, but, um, you know, one thing I would say is that um, understanding um, sequestration and vegetation, particularly native vegetation on farms, you know, it's a major incentive for people to be um, improving management of native forests and regenerating forests. So that's really how I, the main thing I can see is it's a major opportunity to encourage and incentivize people to be managing native vegetation. Where's the incentive for big emitters to reduce their emissions if they can just buy land and plant trees and offset at seemingly no limits to that? Yeah, well, that's the big trap we don't want to fall into is people offsetting their way out of and, and carrying on and not changing their behaviours. Um, so, you know, that's, that's, that's a potential problem that um, we need to be very aware of. And I guess, um, yeah, I just think that we... You know that the the, the um, carbon sinking is is not really the solution to the answer. It's about behaviour change and changing the way we do things so that we're not um, 
causing the issues in the first place. Do you believe that there is significant change that farmers can make in their processes to essentially achieve what's been asked of them? Um, do you mean in terms of um, accounting for carbon sequestration, Angus? The sequestration is one thing because to me the whole thing seems to be a mute point if we're not going to recognise sequestration in its total form or to make an attempt at calculating that. What are we doing all this for? Yeah, look, I, I, I agree. I think that um, on-farm sequestration um, is a major opportunity for landowners to be incentivised for looking after their forests and their vegetation and their land and managing it so that there's biomass being stored. Um, I think that doing it at a farm level is really important because that's where the decisions are made. Um, and I, I actually think that um, for forest health, um, uh, carbon is the wrong tool. I think it should be an ecosystem-based um, incentive that's available to people. I think that's, that will derive better outcomes. But at the moment, we've got the ETS, um, and that's the main um, tool that we could use to incentivize people to store biomass and vegetation on their farms. So I think we um, it needs to be used to its best potential for that purpose. But vegetation is currently excluded, isn't it? Well, vegetation of a certain, of older vegetation is, yes, um, that's right. So uh, the focus for the ETS is around additionality um, and achieving um, carbon storage and vegetation that wouldn't have occurred um, without the ETS. So that's why there's a line in the sand at uh, 1990 um, where uh, it's the more recent um, forest since 1990, which is potentially eligible for registration. Have you got in mind what a fair and equitable system might look like? Well, I think this is actually a really important point, Angus. Um, to my mind, um, what's fair is for people um, to be rewarded for the actual carbon they sequester in vegetation. So, you know, I think... Um, if, if native forests aren't actually um, big uh, sequesters of carbon, then I don't believe that actually they should be made out to be in a, in a sort of system like this. I think we can't afford to um, misrepresent uh, the ability of different things to act to reduce climate change. We have to be realistic and honest about it. So I think... Um, there, then that really leads me to my point around I don't think that carbon is the best tool to be um, incentivizing native forest management with because it's just a sort of a one-dimensional thing, unfortunately. Um, you know, if there was an incentive that was more holistic and rewarded um, ecological integrity, ecological health, um, resilience, these sorts of things, well, I think that would lead to much more balanced outcomes. Um, but like I say, we have the ETS at the moment, and that's sort of the tool, sort of a square peg in a round hole to my mind in terms of um, an incentive for native afforestation, but it's what we currently have, and uh, the trick is to make it fair and equitable. If our overall emissions are based up of 50% uh, from agriculture, and let's take another nation whose total agriculture emissions might only be 5 or 10% just based on their business activity or how their economy is broken up. How do we get to a point where we have to actually say, well, do we just stop farming as a nation and do we just return the entire farmland back into native forest or even into exotic forestry and just simply farm carbon and the balance return to native vegetation? Do you think we should just stop farming in this country? 
Um, no, I don't think, I think it's a bit radical. Um, I think that, um, I think that we just need to find more balanced ways of, of doing things and we need to address as best we can sources of emissions in farming and agriculture is one of those sources. Um, so I think that um, we need to be looking seriously at it, at agriculture and farming and making as many moves as we can to reasonably reduce emissions and also um, on the positive side of the ledger, thinking about um, opportunities on those lands for sequestration because let's face it, the um, agricultural land is really, is, represents most of where we can potentially sequester carbon. So that, that it's a dual um, opportunity really, I think. Mm. Um, Are you able to expand a bit on what those opportunities might be? Yeah, sure. Um, I think that um, it's variable spatially across the country in terms of what the potential for sequestration of carbon and vegetation. And largely it's driven by um, soil moisture and by air temperature. Um, so in those warmer, uh, wetter parts of the country, um, we can have 12-month uh, growth seasons in forest flora. And it's those areas that um, we have rapid growth and a big ability to sequester carbon. Um, other areas, say Mackenzie Basin is an extreme example, or parts mm. of Marlborough, um, really not the best places in my view to be trying to sequester carbon due because of such slow growth rates, even of exotic trees. Um, so things like um, looking at farming systems, identifying land areas in those systems, like um, uh, steep areas, erodible areas, um, south-facing sites, um, and really thinking carefully about the value in continuing farming versus um, using those areas for afforestation and, in my view, particularly native afforestation. Um, uh, that's a key one, really. Um, so thinking mm -hmm. really about what the land lends itself to uh, at all scales, nationally and regionally and at the farm scale, and um, making some critical decisions about what the best land use is um, for those areas. Do you think we have to be careful around exotic forestry? Do you see any concerns about where things are currently tracking in that area? Um, yeah, I'm very concerned about what's happening with um, particularly large-scale establishment of conifer plantations. My concern is permanence. You know, and if, if if these forests aren't indeed permanent, then we will have achieved nothing and over the course of several generations of people and we would have just created big issues out there for people to clean up. So it's all very it's it's just too easy, I think, to run away with some of these ideas and um and bite off too much. It's and, and like I say, I think we just have to have permanent forests if we're talking about carbon sequestration, because these forests are essentially a reservoir in the carbon cycle. And if, if they're not permanent, well, like I say, we've achieved very little. Mm. Are you able to expand a bit further for some of the listeners out there on what some of those issues you see in the future on the current track that we're on that may eventuate? Uh, a lack of regeneration. It, um, uh, if the you know this concept of planting a nurse crop and the, on the basis that there'll be regeneration and canopy recruitment and replacement. Um, you know, that requires a number of things. It requires the ability of, for regeneration. So like I was, I was mentioned about climate and so on, you have to be in the right place. There's um, uh, deer and goats and pigs and 
possums out there, which are a problem everyone has, but not no one can really address on their own. Um, mm. And that needs to be taken responsibility for, so you do actually have regeneration. Um, I mean, with climate change, we're potentially heading into a different fire regime in our landscapes. So um, we need to think about the flammability of vegetation and if there's large areas of highly flammable vegetation, um, that is, presents a problem, a potential a greater risk for communities and um, for the environment. Mm. Um, yeah, so I just think um, also, you know, what, what are these forests actually going to be left non-harvested or might they be harvested in the future and, um, you know, for uh, revenue, um, that's, that's a concern as well. So we need to make sure that they aren't actually um, taken taken for um, cashed in as a harvest later on. Um, yeah, so there's a few factors there. And what about the social element forestation can have on rural communities particularly? I can't see much upside to rural communities from a social aspect. Um, yeah, look, I, I do think about that. Like, I'm not an expert in social science or this mm. sort of thing, but, um, you know, I think there are um, – we need to find ways where afforestation – um, is complementary to society and it's not a trade-off but with economy and society. So, you know, there's parts of the world um, where um, there's a forest landscape restoration movement where uh, forests are restored um, and but they're seen as uh, really closely dovetailed with farming operations and society in general. So you step around many of the tensions that can arise. Um, so I think that, like, um, exotic conifer plantations established at scale, I'm sure there will be social problems there because, um, you know, people are potentially displaced. There's probably not a lot of work involved, all these um, reasons that have been given by others uh, probably many times. But I do think that with native afforestation, there's opportunities for um, for jobs, for pest control. Um, you know, I think, I think this idea of restoration ranges where um, locals are trained in forest management and understanding um, what needs to be done for forests and implementing that pest control, enrichment planting, um, or uh, many, there can be many things that if the market's right and um, things are set up correctly, people can actually be engaged quite actively in native afforestation. Some would argue that we are already the most sustainable farming nation in the world. And if we continue down that track, and if we can actually prove that without a doubt, surely we will be able to command a significantly higher value for our products. Yeah, I mean, I think we've got a, a wee way to go, to be honest, Angus. But yeah. um, I do. Yeah, I do. Um, um, I mean, there's been... It depends on your reference, but there's been severe uh, forest clearance. We're heavily deforested nation. Um, and, you know, there, there are water quality issues, uh, which are pretty plain to see. But I do agree with you that, um, you know, a big opportunity for us is to be doing the right thing and that flowing into marketing benefits, um, like you say. Um so, yeah, I think that is something that certainly uh, is ahead of us and should be worked towards. Have you done any work with catchment groups or have you seen the work that they're doing around the country? Yeah, totally. Yeah, I, work, I work with catchment groups quite frequently. Um, a couple of great examples come to mind. Um, Tokipo Catchment Group in Central Hawke's Bay. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a freshwater improvement fund project. Um, you know, I've worked with probably... Uh, 15 landowners there giving specific advice and helping them come up with proposals. Um, 
and you know this the I, it's really great that people are thinking quite critically about what they can actually do in terms of riparian management um retiring eroding uh hillsides and so on um mm-hmm. um and i guess trying to find the balance because some of the regulations that um that are in place or coming up and need to be met they're quite significant um riparian fencing requirements uh, has implications for stock watering arrangements um in some cases i've seen farms that basically need to be refenced and there's parts of the farm I've discussed with the farmer actually pulling all the fences out and starting again to meet the requirements. So, mm. you know, it's there's some very real things um, for farmers to be dealing with. I really respect that. Um, and there is good work being done um, in, in many places. And I, and I think those catchment groups are very valuable in terms of being like a social network and um a you know, source of encouragement and support and um you know technical information sort of enabling so i really think those social uh, those community groups are important yeah and they're quite cool in the way that it's not just farmers that are involved with them it's whole communities uh, and people coming from all different angles different perspectives and actually working towards a common goal or common outcomes that's right, and um, there's some neat stuff going on with uh, school groups getting involved, school groups doing propagation and planting days, and, you know, obviously the future generation is so important for what we need to achieve um, in an environmental sense. Um, and, uh, you know, what you see on social media, there's some neat, um, quite, uh, you know, engaging um, coverage coming out on things like Facebook and um, so on. So. Yeah, there's some really clever people out there, and when they're supported adequately, um, you know, financially, um, particular with funding to do these things, they, they can really achieve a lot. Mm. Any final thoughts on sequestration, Adam? That our listeners should be considering, particularly our farming community and listeners. I think we need to all do a bit, and there's no shortcuts. Um, I think when it comes to forests and sequestration, permanence is a major consideration. And um, uh, in many cases, it means we need to do forest management differently than what we have done. And so there needs to be support for farmers to be able to, you know, fully um, uh, manage sites so they are permanent. And I think it's really important because, like I said, it's these farms, that's where the sequestration can and will happen. So we need to be working with farmers it's in everyone's interest to be supporting them and um, helping make sure that that carbon is sequestered and indeed uh, as acting as a reservoir for the very long future if we can't recognize sequestration then how on earth can we find a net emissions number in my mind that's quite simple yeah looking just i agree this is it has to be simple it has to be kept simple um i think sequestration um has to be an, an actual and transparent thing uh, we can't be, um, you know, falsifying any aspect of of it, and we can't be leaving parts out of it, out of that equation either. I think that the best thing we can do is have um, a complete and accurate sort of accounting of sequestration. And if that means that there's sequestration happening on farms that farmers aren't currently being recognised for, well, that's obviously a problem, right? Um, I think mm. that there's because because we're not going to have a complete picture of that um, of that cycle. Really appreciate your time today. Thank you very very much. Thank you, Angus. Thanks for having me on the show. 
Dr. Adam Forbes is an expert in his field and well-respected in the science community. His views are greatly appreciated, and I thank him again for his time. Apologies for sounding like a broken record, but this is important, and sequestration needs to be tackled head-on by the government. Dr. Adam Forbes' view is that if there is sequestration on-farm that is not being recognised, then that is fundamentally wrong and does not provide an accurate picture. The recommendation from the Climate Change Commission is that the non-ETS sequestration included in the Hiwaki Ekanoa proposal could receive recognition through a separate system. Sure, this sounds great, but would it be implemented before 2025? For an accurate picture of farmers' on-farm net emissions, which is what this conversation should only be about, Total on-farm sequestration must be recognised and calculated from 2025. Otherwise, there are no net on-farm emissions because half of the equation is missing. It's that simple. This should not be politicised, nor should this be about applying another tax on farmers. The tools are there to easily measure sequestration. So let's use those tools and deliver an accurate, fair, equitable system. Farmers will face their emissions but they need both sides of the equation to see the true picture shake out of the tree. That's all for me this week. Thank you for listening and catch you next time.